people always talk about pivoting being a way of life in startup. Right. Right. Which is in many ways too. I mean, if you look at a journey of a startup, you might have started with something, but you ended up with something else altogether. Yeah. However, the where I want to go back and say is that, you know, I, I call it pivoting with a plan. Mm-hmm. You don't do pivoting. It's like, oh, this didn't work. I go, let me try the other one. Yeah. I think the successful startups always start up with a grand vision of here's the space that I'm going, you know, after, and then I'm trying it here. But they always think about the other areas, the adjacencies and so forth. So going back to your point, the, the way things really come together, and I can give a you know, few examples where in my previous one, we, uh, and I'm not going to, you know, because of confidentiality, I, I can't tell you the, the full data, but I can say that we had different customer segments that we were thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this product is really, or our product suite is really applicable to all of them. Yeah. And then as the team came together to QBR, to Product Console, you know, multiple stakeholders learning from customers and our product deployment, we honed it down and said, no, this is big enough space. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, you know, US versus global market, and and you think about existing players or lack of existing players in there, let's just focus on that. So one area was like that. We, instead of being multiple vertical focused, we just went ahead with one vertical and that was well enough markets, you know, big uh, enough market that led to our successful exit. And, And if we had tried out multiple verticals, probably wouldn't have the same success. So I think that is an outcome of having that honest, you know, dialogue or multi-log with multiple stakeholders coming together. Hi there, this is Vijay Damoji Parapu and you're listening to the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders Podcast. The show where I go behind the scenes with top go-to-market practitioners to discuss their mindset and tactics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Go-to-Market Leaders Podcast. Today, I have with me Bhaskar Deka, who is the VP of AI Products at up-and-coming startup named Edcast. So, Bhaskar, the reason why I reached out to you and I'm so looking forward to having this conversation is for various things, right? One is you've got tremendous background in the product side where you build and collaborate very closely with the engineering teams on product. You got a very good perspective and deeper perspective on AI and data science. And of course, I was very impressed with your background working with larger companies, essentially the high growth teams within larger companies. And you also got a good track record working with startups backed by top tier venture capitalists. So really excited. So welcome to the show, Bhaskar. Thank you, Vizay. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, cool. So as I start off my podcast with this very standard, but it's a very important question for everyone in the cross-functional teams is, how do you define go-to-market? Sure, Vizay. I mean, I think it's a great question. And I've been fortunate, as you mentioned, that I've been working for big companies like Oracle Informatica in high growth areas, as well as startups you know, with uh, successful exits. So I've seen how go-to-market in particular is applicable in, you know, both for product lines, which are well-established versus product lines, which, which we're still defining. Mm-hmm. So let me go back and say that fundamentally, there is a you know, very good alignment between both grow-to-market as well as product management function, right? So what it entails is that you have a strategic component to it, 
as well as a very important operational uh, component. Right. So to me, go-to-market is really about, if you think about the strategic component, it's about how do you define the marketplace uh, mm-hmm. or rather the you know, overall market that you're going after? Yeah. What kind of you know, opportunities are there for mm-hmm. creation of value for a customer? Right. You know, if it is an existing product landscape, then what kind of competition that's already out there? Mm-hmm. And then how would you create a unique value proposition that will differentiate your product from rest of the competition? Right. Uh, and in case of an entirely new product, how would you create a new category altogether? Yeah. So that strategic component, then you think about from an execution standpoint, how would you then go ahead and position and place your product around it? You know, the classic four Ps of marketing, mm-hmm. the product placement, price, and uh, promotion. Right. So those aspects needs to be thought through. And that's where I think the collaboration between product team and the go-to-market team comes into play. Mm-hmm. Because for successful products, both in established as well as startup scenario, you want to think about product and go-to-market team, thinking about those things and the strategic part as well as the operations part. So at a high level, that that's where I see that strong alignment is now. Now, in case of startup, it can be a bit interesting because you might not have a go-to-market function yet. The founders might be acting as the people. And in some cases, you don't even have a product person. The, the founders are you know, being product persons themselves. Right. But as you start you know, going beyond your product market fit to an actual you know, scalable product scenario, mm-hmm. then that distinction of GTM versus product and that collaboration comes into play. Understood. Very good. Good stuff. So thanks for sharing that. And I fully agree. I mean, go-to-market is has got both the strategic, the big picture aspect. There is also the operational and the tactical aspect, right? And mm-hmm. the way I see it and sensing from what you mentioned, Bhaskar, it's, it's, it's an ongoing activity. It's not a one-time activity. It's an ongoing activity, and it's it involves collaborating with cross-functional teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Cool. Yep. All right. So let's shift gears a bit. Can you share your journey and important milestones, both from a professional and personal mile, uh, point of view, as to how and why you got attracted or pulled into a product role and data science and some of your most recent roles and accomplishments? Absolutely. Happy to talk about that. So I would first say that I'm very fortunate to be, have my journey where in, in engineering, product, even a little bit of product marketing and mm-hmm. data science. And I've been fortunate to have done work in multiple vertical domains. You know, I started off with financial services, risk management, you know, automotive, pharmaceutical, you know, and now learning, learning space. So my journey after my bachelor's and master's in computer science, I actually spent first half of my career in engineering. So I was a uh, you know, real hands-on engineer, became engineering manager. I spent you know, eight years of my, plus years of my time at Oracle was mostly in the engineering space. Mm-hmm. And then post my MBA, I you know, joined the product function. And the reason I was really interested and intrigued by the product function in general was that you know, I love engineering, you know, building you know, cool products, but I was always thinking about why you build it? How is right. it going to actually you know, solve something for, for customers? Yeah. So that's the big picture you're talking about earlier. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And being in product, I think you kind of straddle those two areas that you're thinking about how does it solve real customer pain points and problems? And then, you know, how would you actually, you know, in a for-profit world, how do you make money about it? You know, working right. with a revenue team and a marketing team. So that aspect of 
being able to work with engineers and build product and being an ex-engineer, you know, understand their constraints and then, you know, the problem solving that they're doing, but also being able to go to the other side of, you know, working with marketing and sales to mm-hmm. be able to position their product. Right. Uh, that's what excites me. The other aspect of it is also, you know, going back to my journey, in, even when I was in school, I, in fact, I was a bit confused about which direction to go because I loved math. I was good in math, but I was also very interested in literature. Mm. So, you know, and it came to a point where, you know, back in those days, you either go to engineering or medicine. Right. But I was really so. So for to- context for the various audience from different parts of the world, I can connect with you, Bhaskar. Yeah. But for context for the global audience, this is the typical Indian parent and student mentality, the child mentality, at least back then. We're talking about like 10, 15, 20 years ago, where yeah. you typically have like two tracks, which is, yes, if you want to make money, if you want to have a good career and a good uh, journey professionally and personally, at least that's what our parents used to preach back then, which is, hey, you either have engineering, go into a medical profession, or you go into like a, a technical and engineering degree. So I was in your seat and I can relate. And I'm sure a lot of the folks, at least from the subcontinent and the Asian region, they can connect with this. Yeah, no, thank you for giving that context. Yeah, absolutely. I think things are definitely have changed now. Right. You know, I've seen my nephews and my cousins and uh, how it's a different world now and yep. uh, even in places like India. But back then, so going back to product, what I love of product is that you should be both a poet and a quant. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you need to Absolutely. be able to be very data-driven, understand, you know, how you're solving problem and being data-driven around it. But also, like a poet, being able to distill your message in a very short format and connect to to your audience. So yeah. that part, the other aspect is, you know, being comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah, absolutely. So I think those are things that really, really excites me about being a product leader. Okay. So as I said, I'm grateful for that journey being an ex-engineer because it helps me connect with my engineering partners really well. Yeah, very cool. And yeah, looking at your uh, track record, you also had good stints at different startups with Skewpass mm-hmm. and then now you're at Edcast. So what brought your, what got you excited to be at Edcast and what's your role, your charter here at Edcast? So very good. Yeah. So I think past few years, so a little bit of going back to my journey again, my master's specialization was in AI at that those days, you know, mm-hmm. more than two decades ago now that we were going through an AI winter at that right. time. And it used to be called expert system. So it was more mm-hmm. based engine. So past few years in my startup journey, in addition to being a product leader, I've been building data science team as well. You know, the most recent uh, one at Scoopers, I was a founding had a product uh, brought, brought in, build a product team, but along with that, also build a data science team because of you know what we do. Yeah. What really attracted me to Edcast is first of all that the space itself, which is talent experience management, mm-hmm. and, and we call ourselves Netflix, Spotify of learning. In fact, our founder, who I have a lot of deep respect for, is a serial entrepreneur, has done multiple startups with uh, very successful exits backed by you know, top-tier VCs. Mm-hmm. And this is his fourth startup. So the, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's defined a category yeah. as the founder. And the opportunity for AI in the space, which already you know, we are a leader in that, but the opportunity to do even more, especially areas like one of my personal interests is reinforcement learning, where you know, a lot of work has been done in, you know, in the enterprise world in supervised and semi-supervised learning, you know, you, what do you do with labeled data, mm-hmm. but really tapping into human experts and how they think and how they work and how they learn 
translating that into what you can do in talent experience management. Yeah. I think there's an enormous opportunity there in, in a product suite like what we have at Adcast. So mm-hmm. that really attracted me to you know, come in and you know, be the head of AI products at, uh, at Adcast. Cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, sounds like you got a lot of... It, it, I think from a timing point of view, as well as from the alignment of the market trends, the need in the market, and then there's the technology trends. I think from that viewpoint... Mm-hmm. Based on what you mentioned, I think it's all coming and gelling together where there's a more stronger need and a pull in the marketplace, be it the sales team, be it the marketing team, be it the, even for that matter, the product teams, and even for the HR, right? You've got different functions who are constantly wanting their individuals, the team individuals, to always up their game and be learning from the different yeah. learning management pro- platforms or the knowledge management platforms. And on top of that, trying the AI, figuring out the patterns, figuring out, okay, what works well and what is best suited for this individual based on his or her learning curve. Mm-hmm. I, I think trying those two pieces, at least those are very uh, exciting patterns of uh, threads that are aligning. So would you say that in your world, from what you're doing at EdCast or what you're trying to do at EdCast, how do you define or how do you look at the vision and the roadmap? for your product line. Of course, you don't need to get into the confidentials, but broadly, how do you define that? Yeah, so I think, you know, it, it goes back to the very first uh, question we started the podcast with uh, about your understanding the market and then, you know, having your unique value proposition. I think one thing that is unique about our environment, as I mentioned, that uh, our founder, Carl Mehta, is a pioneer in that space about, uh, you know, the, the company got started in Stanford where, you know, and he, you know, worked with a lot of thought leaders in that space. So in many ways, we are defining a category. And, you know, there are obviously other companies which, which, which came into it with, and we we have great traction in some of the, you know, big enterprises like, uh, you know, Boston Consulting Group, NASCOM in India, mm-hmm. uh, to name a few. So one of the things that, you know, from a product leadership standpoint, uh, and especially in the AI space, constantly look at is you have you know, a real problem that you're solving now. That again, I go back to, and I think you articulated really well, that if you think about learning experience management, time experience management, you're thinking about given a person in an enterprise, given his or her role about, you know, the department that she is in and then the role she does, how do we provide the most personalized, the most relevant, the most contextualized and the most timely mm-hmm. content to that person? What then helps that person to, in her career journey. So, mm-hmm. you know, Brenda was a developer in a software development, but she really wants to go into product management. Mm-hmm. Sarah is another person who in the last two years had successfully made that transition. So we'll be able to connect, you know, the, the experience and the journey and the pathways that Sarah went to right. and make that available to Brenda so that, you know, she can have the similar experience. So that value of being able to learn from another person and not only the individual content, the content, but also her specific journey is mm-hmm. invaluable. If you also think about then from the context of, you know, I'm as a leader in my organization, I'm trying to do big change management initiative. And I yeah. want to know who are the people with the right kind of skill sets that's out there, you know, can think about cohorts or clusters of people with similar skills. Right. Now that helps me understanding, you know, the landscape and, and so forth. Yeah. So 
the reason I also brought up reinforcement learning is because in addition to what you can learn with existing label data, a lot of work with, uh, you know, human experts feeding into the, the, the overall pipeline, you can make it even, even better. So from a strategy standpoint, that, that's how I look at, you know, you think about immediate value that you're creating, right. but you have a long-term vision of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And then constantly, I think one thing I really want to call out, and that's where the partnership between product and a go-to-market is so critical. Yeah. You need to be constantly listening to your customer and you know, being customer-centric mm-hmm. over your term. But as a product manager or product management leader, you can't be everywhere. So you need to partner really closely with GTM team who are constantly doing customers. And then how do you learn and partner with uh, you know, your, the real customers? So yeah. you know, refining your roadmap or you know, learning more from how they're receiving or saving it. Mm-hmm. Those are all very important aspects. Okay, good stuff. Uh, so I'll put you a bit in a hot seat <laughs> based on what you just <laughs> mentioned here, Baskar. So you mentioned about product and then you mentioned about go-to-market teams, yep. right? Yep. So in your mind, looks like you're seeing them, seeing them as two different entities versus in my mind, I see go-to-market as product. You got marketing, you got the revenue teams and you got customer success, yep. right? And Obviously, today, based on constraints on the organizational chart and mm-hmm. leaders, there's no yeah. one central function that has a complete end-to-end view, other than maybe, let's say, the GM or the CEO, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's one of the challenges for me personally. I'm trying to address and figure out what is the right way to address this because go-to-market, yes, you can say product, hey, you got a vision and a roadmap that you need to execute and deliver against. For mm-hmm. marketing, hey, you got these various campaigns and programs even sales enablement or, or launch this customer event, right? So you need to do that. From sales, okay, you got this quarterly kit, uh, quota and you can implement ABM or several other tactics. So go figure out and get your sales uh, revenue goals hit for the company, right? And then customer success mm-hmm. similarly. So, so coming back to the earlier question, where I want to put you a bit in the hot seat is your thought process of product and then this go to market. Would you reconsider that perspective? Well, I, that, that's a great point, Vijay. So I think one thing I do want to say that it varies from, I mean, I'm talking about current state. Sure. It varies from company to company. Mm-hmm. It also varies from stage of the product. Right. So company to company would mean, you know, very well established, you're in a major in the market leader in one space mm-hmm. versus maybe a startup defining a new category or getting in, into the space. Yeah. I think your point is well taken that if we think in silos, we cannot be successful. That, that's where I would right. start off with. If product is only thinking, well, I need to work with engineering, build a product. And yes, I got my input from marketing. I know where to go, right. but I'm going to build it on my own. And if marketing, on the other hand, thinks only about I need to do campaigns and product has given me all the materials and yep. then I'm, I know I'll measure it to yes. a T and then I'll get successful. And sales thinks about, I got a product, I got my data sets, collaterals, I'm going to go and sell it. Right. I think the point you're making is you need to be joining the hip in these yes. three functions. And in many ways, you know, organizational structure would vary from company to company, but that full alignment in that journey about how you started with a pain point for a customer and then how you position the product and you're constantly now not only you know sold it because you mentioned a very important stakeholder customer success but how am i especially in in a cloud world how am i keeping my retention rate to be you know 95 mm-hmm. percent about right. making them delightful customers right as yes. opposed to made to sell so what i would say is that 
even though we would execute in silos, if there, there's such a thing, we need to be aligned on a strategy, joining the mm-hmm. hip all throughout. And, you know, there are various mechanisms that you can have to go to it, you know, having a very regular product council where all the stakeholders meet constantly as, you know, and then you have your QBR and so forth. So those are all mechanics of actually mm-hmm. doing it. But the key point here is that the leaders are fully aligned across all of yeah. that. So I, I couldn't agree more that. And again, the, the reason I brought up about the stage of the company is in a startup, all of them could be together and, right. uh, you know, one person could be wearing the hats, especially go to market and product together. Right. But, you know, you, the other thing I want to make is that even when you have grown up or you're in a part of a big company, product management, since, you know, that's my area of focus always has this component for outbound versus inbound. Mm-hmm. So your inbound product management is more focused on, you know, building the product and, you know, having the right engineering partnership. But the outbound is always about working with, you know, your customer facing for space, customer success or, you know, sales and marketing. So that partnership collaboration, the sooner you have it, as opposed to I'm going to go and build it on my own, is what mm-hmm. makes uh, people successful. So, so it's a continuous journey and that alignment is needed across all, all three. And hopefully that answers, you know, I want to go back and say that I, I'm 100% in agreement with you is that we, at the strategy alignment level, we should be thinking end-to-end. Right. But then execution, maybe you do it in, in your little area. Right. I think that's the point, right? I mean, the big picture, you have one go-to-market team thinking in one direction, but then when you get into the execution and tactics, of course, you cannot have majority of all of the product and marketing and sales in one direction of itself. If it's a new product versus a mature product, each person or each role will have their own responsibilities. I think this is where, yes, you need to be dialed in and you need to have silos. Silos have come into existence for a reason, but Mm -hmm. then there's also a constant theme, someone or a team within a company has to be thinking about the cross-functional aspect. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So going back to what you mentioned, which is you got the big picture and then you got the mechanics of the QBRs and the weekly or the uh, bi-weekly sprints. So if you go back to either the current role or mm-hmm. the last one or two roles, mm-hmm. what would you say as an example and something that strikes your mind as to, hey, we as a team have achieved a wonderful go-to-market motion. Does any of that come to mind for you? Let me think about that for a minute. You know, since my most recent ones have been in startups, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, past decade and so. So one thing I do want to mention is that, and, you know, people always talk about pivoting being a way of life in startup. Right. Right. Which is in many ways true. I mean, if you look at the journey of a startup, you might have started with something, but you ended up with something else altogether. Yeah. However, the where I want to go back and say is that you know, I, I call it pivoting with a plan. Mm-hmm. You don't do pivoting. It's like, oh, this didn't work. I well, Let me try the other one. Yep. I think the successful startups always start up with a grand vision of here's the space that I'm going you know, after and then I'm trying it here. But they always think about the other areas, the adjacencies and so forth. So going back to your point, the, the way things really come together and I can give a, you know, a few examples where in my previous one, we... Uh, and I'm going to, you know, because of confidentiality, I, I can't tell you the, the full data, but I can say that we had different customer segments that we were thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this product is really, or our product suite is really applicable to all of them. Yeah. And then as the team came together to QBR, to product console, you know, multiple stakeholders learning from customers and our product deployment, we honed it down and said, no, this is 
big enough space. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, you know, US versus global market, and, and you think about the existing players or lack of existing players in there, right. let's just focus on that. So one area was like that. We, instead of being multiple vertical focused, we just went ahead with one vertical and that was well enough markets in a big uh, enough market that led to our successful exit. And, and if we had tried out multiple verticals, probably wouldn't have the same success. So I think that is an outcome of having that honest, you know, dialogue or multi-log with yeah. multiple stakeholders <laughs> coming together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I think the point you bring up over there, Bhaskar, is very critical. And this is a challenge. I mean, be it a small organization or even larger organizations, it's about having that focus and the mm-hmm. ability to say no to yes. the rest of the opportunities, right? I mean, there's yeah. that constant fear of missing out. It plays a lot in the minds of individuals, be junior, mid, or even the executives. But I think the really successful go-to-market teams with the right leadership, they have that discipline of saying no. Yeah. No, 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 because we are going to focus on this one segment or initiative. And when I bring, that, bring up that point, it's about that focus for not just for the next one month or one quarter, but it's at least for a year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Vijay. I think, you know, what, what you brought up is in the product role, I always think about the fact that the most successful product managers are really good at saying no to the right things. And that's why, you know, with experience, I think you get also better at it because there's so many things that you can do, but mm-hmm. how do you come up with, you know, in a very data-driven way, and you can be right all the time, you know, that, that, that's the, uh, you can predict the future. But yeah. how do you have a framework of working with multiple stakeholders, a framework of evaluating where you want to go, mm-hmm. whether it's the big picture about what products portfolio you would have, right? down to at the individual PM level, what features you're building. So I think that that's super critical. Couldn't agree more. All right. So going back to something that you mentioned, it's like a user story that you mentioned earlier. Now mm-hmm. that we're talking product language here, uh, yeah. you mentioned about Brenda and Sarah, the two yeah. personas. I think uh, that story, by the way, good job in framing that story because that's clearly etched in my mind. So you've done that bit of storytelling very well. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, the Brenda and Sarah example that you yeah. mentioned. So clearly you got that charter as to how you can bring or help people like Brenda and Sarah within the different parts of the organization and who are looking to make that career change or thinking about how to grow in their roles, right? So mm-hmm. from a viewpoint of next six or 12 months, of course, mm-hmm. without going into confidential details, how do you, what are your top priorities? And when you think of those top priorities, what do you see as potential hurdles and how do you plan to overcome those? I think, as you rightly mentioned, that there are things that I cannot share from sure. a confidential perspective. So maybe it's better for me to talk about more generic terms about mm-hmm. how we go about, you know, once you have, you know, a student's uh, vision. So I think the, the key thing here is that, you know, product managers, we live by roadmap, if you will, right? That we, as a product leader, it's one of the key role is to, to build that roadmap. And it's not something you build and it's a living document or a living right. artifact. And it needs to have two different at a minimum aspects of it. One is how do you build and maintain something which is more external focused, which mm-hmm. is you can, you can talk to your customers and partners. Yeah. And the other one is how do you build something and maintain, which is more internal focused, working with your engineering mm-hmm. and the customer success team. So that aspect, I think that's why your early thing about 
getting the multiple stakes and working together and product, you know, like we better than quarterbacking that is yep. something I, you know, enjoy and, and strongly believe in. So whether it's product council or other QBR mechanisms you have, that aspect of thinking from a portfolio all down all the way down to the individual story level, you know, epic mm-hmm. stories and in the agile world right. is how I think about and constantly measuring it. I think one important stakeholder I left out, which kind of a lot of times is now you know, subsumed within the product team is the user experience team. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have that as even, you know, design team is, uh, you know, out of even product. But, you know, more and more, we, the thinking about the customer journey and then doing some rapid prototyping validation with customer is a key part of it. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing that I missed out earlier, which is, you know, once you have that, you know, working with some lighthouse customers, maybe mm-hmm. your customer advisory board or right. whatever form it might be. And yeah. that's where, again, another touch points between your, you know, the marketing go-to-market function and then and, and the product function is super critical because you, you want to be very thoughtful about given the set of customers I have, what are segments that I can, you know, play in and then having right representations from each of those because you could otherwise be building a product which appeals really nice to SMB market or right. one part of SMB market, but it doesn't apply to enterprise or the other way around if you're going after both of those as an yeah. example. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And by the way, thanks for uh, bringing attention to something that I omitted and something that I'll keep in mind going forward is the user experience and the design team. I think they are a key component of the go-to-market aspect as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. By the way, I just took a quick mental note on uh, something that you mentioned. Uh, So I'll share something right after our podcast recording around the segments and how you can do like quick hypothesis uh, testing and prototyping. So something I'll keep in mind. uh, Note on. Yeah. All right. So sorry, you were going to say something, Bhaskar? No, no. I mean, I think, you know, that it's a very good point because it's not only the segments and the hypothesis of, you know, like the prototyping and so forth at the part of the early part of the journey, yeah. but also having product analytics once the product is in place and again, working with customer success and product together about whatever we set out to do, whether it's actually working or not, you know, measuring it because that input is super important for your roadmap. You know, things that you thought would work, but didn't work. And then you did you know, very good amount of A-B testing initially, but then later on the product is in production and then people are using it, learning from it and then having a, you know, that feedback into your product roadmap. Cool. Yeah. By the way, uh, can you share some of the tools that you use for analytics and other, like what is your, I know for marketing and even for sales, you have like MarTech stack and then sales tech stack. So for product and for analytics, what is your tech stack looks like? Yeah, so there are, there are actually, fortunately now there are a lot of products available. So in the interest of being vendor neutral, I, would, yeah. I won't name names, but the way I would call out is that in a product world, as compared to 10 years ago, you know, first of all, you have actually tools now that does portfolio planning a product and then all the way down to actually creating you know roadmaps that you can share with stakeholders because yeah. there used to be days when you would have excel spreadsheets and right. <laughs> uh, you know and then and then you have powerpoint slides or google slides to kind of that that's what you do and it, it's not a scalable model but yeah. now there are structured content that you can put in and all the way from your product portfolio planning that goes down to you know integration with your actual delivery mechanisms, uh, right? So and, and to your wiki for so those products. And again, there are I've used quite a few of them in my product leadership role and pluses and minuses, but I won't name any particular product. Mm-hmm. So that one area, let's call it product portfolio, and then road mapping tool. Then the other big area, as you mentioned, is 
you know, learning about the product itself and how it's being used. Right. Uh, and I think that's also is we are not fortunate to have a lot of products. So earlier it used to be that you will take Google Analytics and then you try to, embedded. you know, yes. fit it, embed it into it. And then, you know, you, and then as a Google Analytics experts who will like right. you know, give those reports to you. Now, now there are all the way down to, you know, specific areas that you can go after. And then you also have tools in the design space, mm-hmm. you know, about how you're building prototypes, not only just the Adobe suite of um, design tools, but tools that, you know, integrate nicely with, with it. So the key point again is that, you know, measuring what you're able to do now, a set of tools are out there, you know, and I think a lot of good literature on the web, again, being since I've used multiple of them and to successfully regain multiple startups and big companies, I won't name specific, but I think those two categories, I would say as, as a product person, you need to keep an eye on. And the only thing about roadmapping tool, some of it can be a bit expensive or yeah. even the analytics tool. So for a startup, the advice would be, you know, start with what you can do with free tools first mm-hmm. and then get into, there is definitely advantage of a paid version of a product as you right. scale up, but that, you know, start with free tools and then, you know, move towards that journey where you have a great subscription it is how I've successfully used it. Yep. So in short, use Google tags and <laughs> spreadsheets when you're low on budget and when you're in a startup mode. But then I think the key point is to change the habit within the product teams to use the more mature and advanced tools. I think that that's key. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of something that, you know, whether you're using a spreadsheet or a tool, as an example, mm-hmm. I think there are some fundamental structural thing that you have in a roadmap, as an example. Right. For, uh, you know, you, you would think about, you know, I made the distinction between external versus internal. Right. You know, in an internal one, you could get into, you know, I'm using examples from my AI world, you know, you're writing a recommendation engine. So you want to think about collaborative filtering, you want to think about your metrics factorization, right. those things are needed for your data scientists and your engineering team. But to, to the end customer, you are talking about personalized, contextualized uh, content that you're delivering. So having a taxonomy hierarchy of your components in roadmap, mm-hmm. those are needed irrespective of whether you are using up in a tool, roadmapping tool, or you're using your Excel or PowerPoint. Yeah. So I think if you're low on budget and so forth, that still doesn't free you up for not having that taxonomy. That's right. Yeah. I think, Great you know, point. and then it's also very easier than once you have thought through in that manner, structured manner, to move from what you have currently to a tool. Yeah, um, that, that's yeah. a great point. There. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. So you did mention about a couple of things that you're excited about and something that you are constantly keeping your eye on and studying. So you mentioned various aspects within data science. So can you go a little bit deep into the things that you're looking out for and you are really curious? Sure, sure. So as I mentioned about, you know, the, the especially in the AI space, I think there are three major parts of, you know, the, if you think, if you not think about general AI, which yeah. is, you know, if you think about machine learning in particular, mm-hmm. the three major parts, you know, you have your supervised learning, semi-supervised learning, and there is called reinforcement learning. Now, there has a lot of advances being done, especially in the enterprise world now you know, in the, the first two areas. But if you think about reinforcement learning, it's still, you know, if you think about, if you talk about reinforcement, people still talk a lot about robotics, right. about, you know, or, or talk about games. Mm-hmm. But that applicability of that in enterprise, I think, enormous. And so mm-hmm. that 
place is where I'm interested about. A related area of that is like transfer learning, as I call it. So you can think about when you're in robotics, you've trained your left arm of the robot. And when you're training the right arm, you don't start from scratch. Mm. You transfer the knowledge that you had on your left arm. A very similar context of, you know, kind of institutionalizing that in the enterprise world. Reinforcement in particular, there's this subdomain that's called inverse reinforcement learning, which is you start with thinking about the expert first and then the other way around. You know, the reinforcement learning has the concept of age and rewards and so forth. So you think from the other way around from that. That's a sub area that I'm particularly very interested in. I do a lot of read up and follow the literature and, you know, spend in, you know, deep into the scientific and academic community, what they're doing and with their applicability to, to the enterprise world. Understood. So it looks like you lean on the scientific community and the various books or technical journals when you're going deeper into this. But if you go up one level from a go-to-market, mm-hmm. are there resources that you lean on to improve your go-to-market muscle? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I would take a step back and talk about my journey as opposed to this specific area, I think. Yeah. Since I've been, again, fortunate to have worked in multiple domains, that's something really excites me because I, you know, my constant team has been data and then, you know, AI, ML uh, right. in, in the products I build. But the domains have been very different. You know, I would give a very recent example when I joined XTime, which was a successful startup bought by Cox Enterprises. Mm-hmm. I, that's an automotive domain and I'm not even a car person. Yeah. You know, I, all the, I drive a very old car, 10 years old. And for me, it's a mode of transportation, point A to point B. Right. And I question myself, you know, I'm excited about the business opportunity, but I'm not a car person. There are a lot of people who are in a passionate car right. lovers and, and so forth. So the first thing, very, very first thing I did when I joined was how can I learn from experts? So mm-hmm. a very dear friend of mine now, Greg Manson, who ran customer success at X-Time. And he was an amazing expert who was a VP of operations at AutoNations, a multi-billion dollar company, yeah. car uh, dealership, the, the biggest car dealership in, in the country. So Greg taught me so much about, you know, what happens in, the, in that world. Yeah. Uh, so tapping into him, and it was a very synergistic you know, relationship because, you know, every time I'm thinking about how do I you know, have a prototype with some of the customers in that space, right. I know I can rely on Greg, but I also can you know, get things refined uh, yeah. with, with his thinking. So with using Greg as an example, I always rely on not only the, you know, what you can learn, but tapping into experts and mm-hmm. especially business spoken apps. So I also tap very, you know, regularly with my Kellogg business community, you know, Kellogg School of Management, right. you know, whether it's professors or, you know, people who are in the industry. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think so much you can learn with even in half an hour conversation with an expert yeah. and, you know, trying to face a lot of materials on that's available as a literature. Absolutely. I think you bring yeah. up good points, right? Yeah. So, and this is something that is seen when I speak with other go-to-market leaders is it's very often that you don't have expertise in all the functional areas that you need to do your job well in. Mm-hmm. So relying on subject matter experts and domain experts. So the example that I mentioned about Greg, where you needed to ramp up on the whole auto industry. I think that that's a great example. That's something that I've heard from other go-to-market leaders as well, as to how they ramp up their learning on the gaps and where they need to uh, figure out or get thought process and perspectives. In Again, tying back to your example, which is, okay, as you're building the product for X time, mm-hmm. but you also need to connect with the various personas in the auto industry. So who do you lean on? 
Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So I do want to make one other point related. I think it's it's not, and it's kind of sort of role independent in some ways. The mentoring aspect, I think, is very mm-hmm. important. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to give a couple of other examples. So when I made the transition from engineering to product management, a couple of people who really helped me a lot, who are still you know, mentors for me to this day, so this is more than 20 years now, Walter Hauck and Tony Gazikas, mm-hmm. uh, they were the CEO, CIO and CTO of Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So I knew them even before I spent some time there, but mm-hmm. this was mm-hmm. while I was still at Oracle. What I really learned from both of them was, you know, as an ex-engineering engineering manager, I was, I thought I was really good at problem solving or approaching problem solving, good framework. But what they really helped me was, you know, refining my thinking about, you know, thinking about a customer, the business, but also more importantly, the people management aspect of it. You know, Pfizer as a company is well known for their their framework around it, but particularly from both of those leaders, I learned so much about, you know, the competences that uh, the product leader needs Mm. for people management aspect. And so to this data, as I said, I, you know, I'm very grateful to have them as mentors. And then I uh, reach out to them with, uh, you know, questions, thoughts or scenarios that we're running them by. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Yep. Value of having those mentors, you can accelerate your thought process and you can, and mentors are key in pointing out the blind spots, which you may not be aware of. And very likely you, each one of us have blind spots. We just need to acknowledge that and look to the mentors to point that out. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. All right. So as we come to the closing section over here, Bhaskar, by the way, great conversation. I think you shared a lot of value to myself and for my company as to what I should be thinking in terms of go-to-market. And you also shared a lot of values to the various listeners, be it in, again, the product, the marketing, the revenue teams, the customer experience teams. And thanks to you, you pointed out even design and user experience teams, right? So I think uh, these are all great points that you shared. So uh, the last question that I have is if you were to rewind mm-hmm. time clock and go back in time, what would you tell your 18 or 20 year old self now that you've seen your journey <laughs> and where you are today? Well, first of all, Vijay, thank you for having me. I think, you know, like I said, you know, any discussions like this, I learn a lot as well. So, you know, your key point about thinking holistically and not thinking silos, like, you know, the, the GTM aspect, I, I think spot on. And I'm, that's a uh, you know, takeaway from me also, going back in that, you know, execute in silos, but, you know, think together in, right. in that space. And, and then how do we do it better? So I think that's a constant thing. So thank you for doing that. Now, the one you asked about 18, 20 years, that's a very tricky and tough one. <laughs> you know, we all, you know, I like, I love Jeff Bezos's point about, regret minimization framework as they right. call it the way he approaches life. So yeah. I won't say I have uh, too many regrets in that aspect, but I would say one thing about it in that as much as I really enjoy being in different verticals and aspects, it can be also tough, you know, then because if you are really expert in one, you know, depth versus breadth as they call it. Mm. Interestingly, one book I'm reading right now is called Reigns by David Epstein. He talks about you know, generalist. So it's it's really interesting book for I think yeah. for especially product GTM folks to to look into. But if I could go back, I think I mentioned this earlier. I was really confused about you know which direction to go because I loved literature, you know that uh, big picture world, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know thinking in, in a little bit of micro level like engineering problem solving. Right. I would you know tell myself that that says you know don't be don't be confused. I think you know a, I, I'm fortunate that and my mom was a big influence in it saying. 
you know, go down the engineering path and then, you know, you can still come back and maybe, you know, and, and that's what I did essentially, you know, mm-hmm. I went engineering and then, you know, MBA, you know, got me into our great thought partners who were came from uh, humanities and liberal arts background. Yeah. So I think that journey, you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but that journey is more important than that destination. So right. having, you know, seen more of it now, today, I would say, don't be confused and whatever your passion is, follow that. So I, th- I think I would leave at that because, yeah, I mean, I think actually maybe another thing I can say is that my daughter, who's in high school, <laughs> she is having a similar moment. Now she's really good in writing, but she yeah. is good in math. And I'm kind of giving her the same advice mm-hmm. that yeah. follow, you know, again, Kalisha, follow your heart. But keep in mind that, you know, I think it, it's okay to have interests in multiple, but, and you'll learn, you know, right. you, so what was the right calling for you? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Just on that note, a book recommendation and something that began to earn, started admiring is this person. The person name is, the author name is Cal Newport. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his uh, I'm actually not. Yeah. 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 So definitely I would recommend that for you and something that you can share with your daughter as well, right? Cal Newport. Mm-hmm. I think one book is around the whole concept of deep work. Mm-hmm. Where these days our human minds are just so distracted and shallow and shallow thinking has been pervasive it's becoming more and more pervasive versus if you ask someone to actually just sit down for 60 90 minutes or even 120 minutes and do just one thing people struggle today right so his book on deep work is one and something that i would recommend for your daughter and for the kids out there and the parents out there as well as they're guiding their kids is uh, so good that they can't ignore you I think I might have messed up the title of the book and I'll share that in the show notes. But again, yeah. it's by that same author, Cal Newport. So thank you for sharing that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely keep that in mind. Wonderful. So yeah. thank you for a wonderful conversation, Bhaskar. I totally enjoy the conversation. And I think at least personally, I've taken a lot of learnings and uh, thank you. And once again, I appreciate the time that you've taken. Like I was saying, it was uh, great chatting with you. And again, I got a lot of takeaways myself and good luck with, you know, rest of the you know sessions you have. And I look forward to, you know, learning more from the previous podcast that you will have. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Hi there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. I have all of the show notes and a full transcript on strative.com. S T r-a-t-y-v-e dot com subscribe on apple podcast or wherever you get a podcast leave a rating and a review your comments will help other go-to-market professionals find this podcast